Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 89. 89 of the Snyder Cut. I am Jeff Snyder, Collider's senior film reporter, and I am very lucky, seriously, very lucky to have this guest with me today. He is my old co-host of Meet the Movie Press, and now he's just, he's moving on to bigger and better things. He's doing so much stuff. He's going to tell us all about it, as well as his, uh, his, his heart attack scare this past weekend, Simon Thompson. Welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you. It, it's been way too long since we've uh, we've done something together, so it's an absolute pleasure. And it's also a pleasure because I'm not dead. Yes. Uh, God, what a scare you gave me. Or I, I mm. got this weekend when I uh, you know saw your, your social media post. So thank God you're okay. How are you feeling today? Tell me. Um, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously just, just happy that I'm, I'm still alive. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I've taken a kicking. Um, I don't know. You know, it's hard to describe what having a heart attack is like. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's weird. It's certain parts of my body feel very different because they're, you know, they, they've they they've had a, a fair a fair whack. Um, but you know, I'm feeling okay. I'm I'm gen. I'm very lucky. I, I don't look uh, too bad. I mean, apart obviously from the face that I was born with, uh, I can't I can't do anything about that. I mean, I can. You know, this is Hollywood. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm very lucky. Um, you know, we we live very close to to Cedar Sinai here in in LA, um, which is one of the best hospitals in the country with Great some doctor. of the best cardiac yeah, yeah. teams and. You know, I was on the table having an op within the hour, um, you know, which was the weirdest thing was when you're in the op and they shocked me because my heart was was irregular. Um, I woke up and they were like, are you OK? And I was like, I mean, not really. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm stark naked on a table. You're putting uh, putting things inside my body and you just shocked my heart. So uh, I've been better. Um but you know, I'm I'm very lucky. You know, a lot of people don't don't get a second chance. So, uh, so how yeah. how did it start? Did you start? This was on Friday, right? Mm. Yeah, Friday evening. Chest pains? Like what? T- tell me from the beginning if you can. <laughs> if, if, only if you want to. I mean, yeah, no, I'm I, dude. I'm more than happy to talk about it. I mean, I literally just come back from from walking the dog. Um, I started to get chest pains, and you know, I, I kind of you know I've had them before. Um, uh, uh, they usually pass. This this really wasn't passing, and then I started. Um, sweating profusely like I was in the shower I mean water was literally running down my body um and then my left arm started to go numb uh and this was within like 10 minutes and were you alone was like, or was or was your wife with you no my wife was with me um and you Thank know I, she's done first responder stuff so I was telling her what was happening and just to keep her in the loop and you know I think I didn't want to be a drama queen and like call EMTs out and it'd be like I've just got indigestion you know it's like pop a little pill but when I realized that, you know, as I said, that my, my arm was, was going numb and I was starting to lose feeling in my, I, my left arm, we were both like, yeah, we need to call the EMTs. Um, so you called um, it, so the ambulance came to you, you didn't drive to the hospital? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, know, I know people compare me to Jason Statham a lot, <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm not that good. Um, yeah, so, well, I mean, by, by comparing me to Jason Statham, they go, you're nothing like Jason Statham. <laughs> um, so I mean that's not a comparison. So l- um, let me ask yeah. you, how long did it take for them for the EMTs to arrive? Because that's always a fear in Los Angeles. How long will it take for people to show up? I mean, luckily it was like less than five minutes, um, and within the hour I was on the operating table. So you know, even with hanging out on a on a gurney outside a hospital for a little while, you know, I was I was very lucky. I was I was in pretty quick. I was in ER for like ten minutes before they took now, me up to surgery. So were you scared in those five minutes waiting for the EMTs, or was, did your wife keep calm? Like you know, like what was that five minutes like? Were you yeah, waiting no, she, for someone to show up? My my wife was very calm. I was just very concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm only two years younger than uh, my father was when he died. 
Mm. Um, from a heart attack. So, you know, I'm very aware at the moment of, of my own mortality. Um, you know, you kind of reach that milestone. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she was, you know, we were both pretty calm, but it's, it, it is also really terrifying. Um, you know, with, with a heart attack, you, you never know, you know, what the end result is going to be. Sometimes you get to walk out of the hospital and sometimes you don't even make it to the hospital. Um, it's completely unpredictable, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, quiet, quiet, calm concern. My family has heart disease and that my grandfather had multiple heart attacks before ultimately succumbing to one. So I've always just sort of been curious, you know, like what are the signs to look for, you know, th that kind of thing. But I'm so glad that, that you were able to get to a hospital uh, quickly and, and that everything worked out. Jesus. Yeah, I'm super lucky. Um, you know, so so it's it's you know, it, it's going to mean a couple of changes to my lifestyle, um, you know, uh, but that's no more those big cigars. That's the thing. Those are those classic Hollywood stogies that I'm so well known for, Jeff. Um, you know, those those power play I mean, mouth tools. Did they yeah. say like what it was like? I don't know. I mean, you know, life is stressful. Uh, everybody's everybody's been through a lot in the last couple of years. Of um, you know, just just getting through the day sometimes can be enough. Um, but I mean, there's no, you know, specifically um you know blamable thing uh sometimes this shit just happens i mean my father had his heart attack when he was you know just walking downstairs to to go and get breakfast uh no prior warning had been you know given a, a clean bill of health just weeks before so you know these things just just happen jeff you know you can be you know the size of a house or you can be as fit as a fiddle right. um True. you know when when it hits the fan it hits the fan and uh you know all you can do is is limit the risks and i'm gonna make some changes and uh you know, we'll, uh, I, I want to be around. I mean, you know, those Fast and Furious movies are not going to watch themselves, Jeff. You know, <laughs> you got to live relaxing Fast Nine. Tom Toretto. Yeah, um, it's family, well, Jeff. It's family. You know, you 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 had uh, hit me up on Twitter last week after we had Roka on, and and uh, I was like, absolutely, come on this week. And then you had our attack, and I was like, Simon, if you if you couldn't make it, you didn't have to go to such extremes such a great lens, but I, I'm glad that you are here. Um, do you, is there anything else that you want to say about your, your episode before we uh, get on with the show? I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, I'll finally get to watch that uh, screening of the uh, boss baby sequel later today. Um, <laughs> every, everyone's, everyone's a winner, Jeff. Everyone's I love that you have maintained your, your sense of humor in all of this. If we can't laugh, you know, what, what is the point of you? Uh, yeah, it? absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, you know what? I guess let's talk about uh, another gentle, older gentleman. He's got a little bit uh, of years on you, I would say. That would be Harrison Ford, mm. who uh, found himself uh, needing a doctor this week when he injured his shoulder on the set of Indiana Jones 5. Now, we don't know if he was actually filming something, if he tripped on the way to set, if he choked on uh, an eclair at craft services. or I mean, well, I guess that wouldn't have hurt his shoulder. But the point is... Like, should we be surprised that Harrison Ford at 79 or whatever is like, you know, having to shut down production and take a break? I mean, not, not even slightly. I, I was I mean, I was surprised and not surprised to, to see this headline this week. I mean, you can file it next to Pope is Catholic and bears poop in the woods. It's you know, he's an older guy. He's doing an action movie. Um, you know, people get injured who are far younger than than Harrison Ford doing this kind of thing. Sure. Um, you know, it's grueling and, and they always want to, you know, do, you know, up the stakes. And this is probably the last one that that we'll see Harrison as Indiana Jones in. Yeah. You know, what they do with the franchises is a whole different sort of bag of beans. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, I'm not at all surprised that this is the case. And, it, you know, possibly it won't be the last time. But, you know, a lot of people will probably go, ooh, you know, the Internet, people love to speculate. But all of this stuff, I think, will have been factored in, um, you know, into delays, injuries, the fact that he is older, as are a number of the cast, right. you know, to, in that shooting schedule. It's why this is probably going to be one of the the longer shoots that, that we're going to see at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are other things that, that befall the set over the next couple of months, because obviously the UK is having some issues where they're filming this largely, is having some issues with various strains of, of COVID and that that's going to have to be factored in now as well. That was looking like it was going to be clear. So, you know, I, I'm glad that he's fine. Um, he is older. This kind of thing is going to happen. He's indestructible. Guy's been in a bunch of plane crashes. Like, he always bounces back. He hurt his leg on the set of Star Wars that they had to shut down for that. Um, but you're right. It's not It's not just because of the age thing. This does happen to everybody. John Cho got hurt on the, on the set of Cowboy yeah. Bebop. Like, there's a bunch of, you know, it just comes with, with a job. It's a physical job. So uh, I, I wish him, as well as you, a, a speedy recovery. Uh, well, I mean, if anything happens, if he could wait until it gets back to L.A. so we can maybe share a room... <laughs> That would be great. I feel like Harrison Ford could afford a private room, but you never know. Maybe he's in a. Are you saying room. I can't? <laughs> At no. Cedars, I don't know. That, that that's steep. Look, dude, uh, come on. That would be a great buddy movie. Grumpy old man and uh, little be little amazing. little me. That I would guess be... it all depends on your insurance these days. Jeez. Um. Uh. All right. Well, this week, uh, Spielberg signed a big deal with Netflix. Everybody was freaking out about this deal, right? Not me. Not Richard Rushfield, not Nicole Laporte at Fast Company. We could sort of see it for what it was. Uh, and the truth is, is that Spielberg's not going to be directing any of these movies for Netflix, or at least it's very, very unlikely. Anything that they think, you know, they have a hit on their hands or an awards contender, that's going to go out theatrically through Universal, I'm almost certain. So it's like, what are we really talking about here with, the, with this deal? They're going to be making basically two movies a year for Netflix, you know, for the next five years. So that's 10 movies, but it's not the cream of the crop. What was your sort of takeaway of, uh, from all this? Or I don't even know if, if, if you know, you were feeling up to following the news earlier this week. But. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, nerds are nerds. So I was, you know, still all over this. I mean, even when I was, you know, in, in hospital, I was still going through Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, again, this doesn't really surprise me. I mean, one thing that we constantly say, I and mean, we used to talk about this on the show all the time, is the fact that you know, th there's this kind of like middle movie, the TV movie, effectively the elevated TV movie, that middle ground movie we used to see in the 90s and early thousands that that doesn't really make a huge amount of money, it, it, you know, at the box office and can also sometimes get pushed out of the way. But they still have an audience that people will then find on streaming. And it's completely logical to take a lot of these movies and actually take them straight to this format, which, if anything, has taught us over the last year it is where you will potentially get a much wider audience, even if the film is mediocre. Um, you know, you are, you, people are going to watch this stuff at home. So it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I'm just surprised that this deal didn't happen last year because obviously Amblin had a great movie out last year, which is a monster movie about a kid facing this, uh, this, this monster from this book. Um, absolutely fantastic movie. I can't remember the you were, It was called Come Play. You, you, Come you Play. Were that one? Okay. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. That reminded me of the monster movies and stuff that I grew up with in the 80s and 90s. And, and to me, that would have been a fantastic way for, if that had debuted on, on streaming, whether that was, you know, Netflix or another platform, would have been a really gateway into this. I think a lot of people were kind of surprised because obviously Stephen's been very vocal about his feelings about streaming and Netflix and its impact on box office. But you know, you can't turn the tide back on these things. There is now a market for, for this stuff. And as I was talking to the producer of, of um, Mulan last year about this, is the fact the industry has been trying to train people to consume these types of movies 
online for the last five years and the pandemic then forced them to do that. And so the industry is just effectively playing catch up. This would have happened eventually over a space of a couple of years. But I think the fact that it's a number of movies at one time, people are seeing it as dumping or somehow sensational. But but it's 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 natural progression, I, I think, here of, of what we're seeing in the industry. And at the end of the day, Jeff, you know as well as I do, it's about making money. Yes. And, and, know, Steven, and Steven's no dummy when it comes to making Steven's money. Steven's no dummy. He's also handled his fair share of, you know, of flops and movies. Well, that, that, that's what, sort of what I wanted to talk about is that, yeah. you know, with Amblin, you know, you think that you're getting the Goonies and E.T. and Gremlins and all that, like, you know, it's one of the few production companies that really has um, some weight behind the name. Hmm. But when you break it down, I'm going to, you know, I, I talked about the movies and, and Richard Rushfield sort of focused on the TV side of the company. But, you know, every now and then you get a, a modest hit, like a, the house with a clock in its walls. But we're talking about movies like The Girl on the Train, Ghost in the Shell, Captive State, Come Play. And then there's movies like Cats, Men in Black International, uh, the Transformers movie, which, you know, th that's a big franchise and everything, but the quality has not been there. Uh, on the TV side, Roswell, New Mexico, Resident Alien, Brave New World, Laurel Canyon, All About Washington's Reverie, American Gothic, The Whispers, Red Band Society, Extant, Terra Nova, Smash, Amazing Stories. Like, these are totally de forgettable, disposable shows. Yeah. So it's really a PR coup more than anything. No, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's something that that, that whole thing of, of where it was sensational if a director who or a producer who'd done big budget movies over the years suddenly started doing stuff for TV, it's like, oh, their career is over. That, that, that whole thing is shelved now. You know, that, that, that simply doesn't happen. Um, the audience is there for this stuff. Um, and also, you know, like I say, these things are, you know, they are going to get pushed out by by bigger movies and audiences are going to be more selective about yes. what, what they pay to see. You know, we, I mean, as much as I love movie theatres and I love the theatre experience, I still do and I always will do. And it's great to see that, you know, th them starting to come alive again. At the end of the day, I'm sure you'll agree with me, Jeff, that probably 80% of movies don't actually need to be seen in a movie theater. You know, you, the, the experience isn't necessarily of the movie, isn't necessarily improved by seeing it in a movie theater. It's the audience, it's the theater you see it in, or it's something like that. There are elements of that, but a lot of movies, the, the, the dynamism or the impact is not lost by watching it on TV and audiences are kind of getting wise to that now. I mean, listen, I, I love movies as much as anything, but I, I, half the movies I watch, I'm watching on my laptop on a little 12 inch mm -hmm. screen. So to me, it's never really been the visual presentation. It's, it's always been about the story. But I, I think that there are certain genres, whether it's comedy or horror, where it helps to be in that big communal um, atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that the Netflix deal will allow Amblin to experiment a little bit more. I, I think that that is what could be uh, interesting about it. Um, but yeah, you know, I just think anything with, with awards aspirations, they're going to deal with the universal theme because ne until Netflix can prove that it can win the big one, you know, mm. I, I still think that they do have some, some things to prove on that front. It's, it's, it's very patchy on that front. I mean, I think the only two movies this year that I've, I've seen, uh, that really stood out to me aside from some of the awards contenders where I actually thought they would benefit from being on the big screen, the tomorrow war was one to me that I really wish I'd seen on a big screen. And Black Widow, which I, I watched on a screen at home on a nice TV with a good sound system, is one of the only movies that I would actually consider having seen it online, then going to see it in a movie theater. Right, so big movies with action spectacle. 
Uh, yeah, but I mean, a lot of them like Coda, which I watched the other day, and you know, I watched Escape Room Two the other day, and you know, Forever Purge, all movies that I enjoyed. But I don't, I didn't feel my experience was at all ruined or, right. or lessened by the fact that I didn't see it in a theatre. So a lot of these movies, I think, work, will work very well at home. Will certainly do achieve what they were set out to do. Well, I'm certainly curious, you know, what movies Amblin, because, you know, they have so much stuff developed because Stephen gets his hands on, on stuff early. Um, oh, yeah. I'm very curious what will end up going to Netflix, because I do think it makes a difference where you're consuming these movies. Something like, do you remember Captive State? Did you see that? Yeah. I, I just use that as an example of, of an Amblin movie that sort of underperformed. You know, it went out through Universal's focus label and they kind of just dumped it in theaters and it opened to like $3 million. But like, if you put that on Netflix, then it becomes like a, a thing that people get excited about, kind of like that Anthony Mackie movie Outside the Wire that was earlier this year that debuted at like number one and mm -hmm. Netflix's top 10. But if that would have been a theatrical release, I think you'd be, you know, that, that would have come off as a flop because I don't think people would have gone. Look, I mean, people are, you know, people are always a bit more reticent to, to you know, to, to go and see a movie when it involves, even with, you know, if you've got one of the, the multi-passes that are available, spunking $15 right. up the wall or $30 up the wall on a, a movie that's fine. If you watch a movie that's fine at home and you're in your pants, you can turn it off and watch something else, you know, so. Right. Okay, well, we can move on from Spielberg. Let's talk about some high-profile Disney castings. Uh, Rachel Zegler who is going to be playing Maria in Spielberg's West Side Story. Look at that segue. Um, she was cast as Snow White. Have you done this before, Jeff? I think so. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just, you know, we're, we're getting back in the rhythm. Um, so what did you make of, of Rachel Zegler's casting as Snow White? I mean, I, I was super psyched. Um, I mean, her, her look, her, her general aesthetic, I think is, is really good. I knew that as soon as I saw the announcement, there was going to be some pushback. Um, but I think it's, it's actually really nice. I like some of these characters where you, you kind of take elements of the original character, but you make them a bit different because otherwise it's almost like you're doing um, an interpretation to the degree of an impersonation of a cartoon character. And sometimes that is necessary, but that isn't always necessary. And I think if your story is gonna be removed enough from what we previously had before, it's not gonna be a cookie cutter remake. I think it actually helps in that narrative to have someone who represents something slightly different. And that can be anything, you know, whether you, you know, gender swap or whether you, you know, you, you have it, you set it in a different country or different language or something like that. I think it really helps to, to, to create a, an entirely new vision of a character that you all know and love. And of course you always have the original. It's not like as soon as we have a new interpretation, we burn the negatives of everything that came before. That's still there, that's untouched. Um, you know, so I personally, I think she's great. I'm really psyched about seeing West Side Story, a movie that I'm slightly worried about. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, and I think probably the studio is a little bit worried after <laughs> kind of the reaction of Into the Heights this year. Um, but we'll see. I mean, personally, I really like her vibe. I like what she's doing. I I'd like I say, I really love her aesthetic. Um, and I'm really interested to, to see what she can do with it. So it's interesting, you know, like you, you said, I wonder if the studio is nervous, you know, based on In the Heights. Like, I wonder if In the Heights is still going to be an awards juggernaut because the industry liked it, you know, like, and, and, and it's critics liked it and it got good reviews. I know it didn't hit with Joe Q public, but mm. I, like, I, I still wonder if it's almost like the industry will rally behind that movie during award season because it didn't fare that well. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, I'm an awards voter in, in various different groups uh, and, and I expect that this is one of the ones that will, that will carry through. But we saw it about this time last year for Defy Bloods, 
where everybody was like, Defy Bloods is going to take everything. That's true. Um, and by the time he actually got, even sort of within three months of awards season, which was obviously elongated this year, that that really started to, to drop off as other movies came through. I think In the Heights is still going to be in, in the awards conversation. And I personally, I, I like the musical genre. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the movie. I, I didn't quite, you know, lose my, you know, lose my lunch over, you know, with excitement as some people did. Um, I thought it was, it, it was really good. It's a very entertaining movie. Um, but musicals are always a hard sell. You know, I really For don't sure. think... For sure, particularly when know, it comes to... Period. Yeah. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, Disney is not too happy. Um, look, looking at the In the Heights box office, Warner, you know, which is a Warner Brothers title, it may not have encouraged them for West Side Story, but awards-wise, maybe they see it as, okay, so this movie kind of tanked and now we have a better chance. Like, you know, if the movie had done great, West Side Story might have sort of been in its shadow for the next six months. I don't know. I mean, the, the marketing for me, a lot of people praise the marketing of, of In the Heights. And I have absolutely no doubt that that is going to be ramped up and they are going to be pushing it for award season um, for, for a number of reasons. But I think and this is often the case with, with a lot of movies, you know, whether it's superhero movies or musical movies and stuff like that, or, or movies that, you know, might appeal to a, a particular demographic or be seen to appeal to a particular demographic is there's a lot of the marketing and there's a lot of the editorial that is aimed at the choir. You're preaching to the choir. These, these guys have already got tickets. And I think it's a, it's a you know, there's, there, there needs to be more outreach to people outside of that who wouldn't go and see a musical, who don't know the Broadway work of Lin-Manuel Miranda outside of Hamilton, who were reluctant to come to Hamilton, which is one of the biggest musicals of all time, you know, and some people don't like it. So I think, you know, I, I think there's a lot of factors in there aside, you know, to, to bear in mind when it comes to the the lack of, you know, the, the, the lack of perceived success of, of Into the Heights, which... But also you can't detract from the fact that it's a good movie, even if a movie doesn't do well. If a good movie is a good movie, it's a good movie. Right. But it, it is going to be in that conversation for a while. Well, to bring it back to, to Snow White. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is an interesting movie uh, for Mark Webb to be directing. Um, not sure I would have gone with him, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what his take is. What I did here, and I haven't, um, you know, we decided not to report this. I don't know if I mentioned this on a, past, on a past podcast, but, you know, Greta Gerwig had a hand in this screenplay? Yeah, she did it. I did she, not know that. It's um, not, I, I didn't report it. It's not out there. But because um, we felt like it because it, it wasn't a rewrite, it didn't really rise to the level of news. But she did a two week dialogue polish. So if any of the, the lines that Rachel Zegler spitting out as Snow White sound uh, a little Greta Gerwigy, that is why. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Greta Gerwig's work. And I know I remember there was a lot of, uh, you know, buzz around the, uh, the movie that she did almost two years ago now, uh, Little Women. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that is, that is, it'll be interesting to see how mainstream audiences will engage with this, you know, w- w- with her hand in that, because it's interesting. I- I'm, I'm still slightly, not entirely sure who some of these Disney live action interpretations are aimed at. I really like Cruella. That didn't land as well as I thought it was going to land. I thought that would have way broader appeal. I love Pete's Dragon. Pete's Dragon is my favorite live yeah. action interpretation. It's a great movie, but I mean, nobody went to see it. So, but I mean, I, I always think these pairings can be really creative and really interesting, but it's again, it's like whether it brings in, you know, the audiences and, and puts bums on seats, I think is, you know, is another thing. But, you know, Mark Webb is a, is a really interesting, you know, choice, obviously, you know, 50 days of about uh, 500 days of summer is well you know, I love that movie I'm just I was just going off yeah. the Spider-Man stuff you know his, his bigger budget stuff but I mean Gifted is another great movie that marked it that, that again hardly anybody oh, saw I to see that yeah I didn't, I didn't. Re- really you should check that out it's really really good but I, I, I'm interested 
I, th I think she's good casting it as mm. Snow White, and clearly, you know, they're impressed uh, by her work in in West Side Story. I just I feel like we've seen Snow White a bunch, and I am very curious how they're going to handle the kiss because that was in addition to the why you know why is Snow White not a white actress, which is such a crazy you know take. Um, and it, and it you know Rachel Zegler was like, no, I'm not bleaching my skin to play Snow White. Crazy that she even has to like say that uh, in response to certain people. But the kiss thing is a real concern I can see with the whole consent issue. Yeah, very curious I, how they tackle that. Yeah, no, no, me too. I'm sure they'll. I'm sure there have been lots of meetings about that. Oh yeah, for sure. Lots of meetings. Yeah. Uh, in other Disney news, uh, I broke the, the, the scoop this week that Scarlett Johansson is going to produce and likely star in Disney's Tower of Terror movie. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the, the caveats and some of the trade stories that were like, well, she's just producing. We don't know if she's going to star. Guys, you don't bring Scarlett Johansson in to produce this kind of, she's, she doesn't have any production credits. She never produced anything. The one thing she was going to produce was Rub and Tug, which, you know, she exited that project because it, it became hugely controversial. So it's not like they're tapping her for her expertise. They, they bring her in to, to produce to star in the movie, okay? Yeah. So the only reason that the other the trades didn't say she's outright starring in the movie is because Josh Cooley is still working on the script. And all these stars, so many of them, they, they would never want to be seen signing on to a movie for the money. It's all about the script to them. And so we, we will wait for the confirmation once the script comes in and is to her liking. Well, what I'm, what I'm really curious to see is whether this is in any way going to be linked to the Steve Gutenberg, Kirsten Dunst TV movie, Tower of Terror. A lot of fondness out there for that movie. Everyone was tweeting about it in response, like, they already did this. And I was like, this is a, a TV movie on the Disney Channel, right? When yeah, was, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, it sucks. Um, but it's, <laughs> you know. It, it's, it, but it's, I mean, it's it's campy nonsense. And I, I do have a soft spot for it. Like I say, even though it does suck, it's, you know, to say it's not Steve Gutenberg's best work you know, is, is I think fair. And it's not something I think Kirsten likes to talk about in interviews no. uh, in this day and age. Um, I do not know if they'll be reprising their roles or making cameos. Um, but I, I mean, personally, I, I always love the idea of, of Disney rides being turned into movies. Um, you know, it always appeals to me. I think the stories that can be told around those, uh, you know, have the potential to be, to be really strong and really interesting. I think just so many of them have failed to tap into that. I mean, Haunted Mansion, with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's from the 90s. That was not, not great. What they were doing with these. Um, maybe Jungle Cruise will be good. I mean, Jesse Plemons looks like a fun villain. It looks mm. like Dwayne and Emily have chemistry. There's Metallica on the, on the soundtrack. Like, I, I don't have high hopes for Jungle Cruise, but there are hopes. But I think it's going to be fun. I mean, that's going to be an enjoyable, you know, romp. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I think it's going to be an adventure movie, you know, along the lines of, a, of an Indiana Jones, just with less Nazis and a bit more laughs. Um, you know, I think it's it's going to be that kind of caper rather than than anything else. Um, but obviously with the with the peck pop from uh, from Dwayne, yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah, I, I I like Scarlet for Tower of Terror. I, I can definitely see a Tower of Terror movie with her in it. I don't know if it would be a period thing. Um, you know, because I was like picturing her from like the Hitchcock movie. Remember she was in that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I didn't know if it would be period or if it would be modern, but. I don't know. It's all going to depend who they get to to direct this thing, I think. And I, I know that they have uh, their eye on, on a few people. Uh, one, one in particular, I just don't know if that'll actually happen. They're, they're, but they're aiming high. They're aiming high. Uh, my money's on Lars von Trier. 
<laughs> no, I mean, seriously, though, I mean, I, I, you know, you say period, I think that for me would be the way to go rather than basing it in, you know, like, oh, years ago, this happened in this hotel. Because mm-hmm. for those people who, who know the ride, obviously, it's, you know, inspired by, you know, a, a story introduced by Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone when there's lightning that hits the tower and, you know, visitors disappear from the hotel on the 13th floor. And I think to play with that and take it back as a period movie and make it a kind of a ghost thing um would you know would, would would to me be the most appealing and i think the most fun and they you know it's rife for 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 adventures rather than that i've inherited a hotel yada 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 blah 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 which we've mm-hmm. we've seen that kind of story a long time you know many well, times. I, I think it makes sense for disney to continue to exploit the ip in the parks just because those parks get millions of visitors like you know everybody knows what the tower of terror is yeah uh, we'll, we'll we'll see um jerry seinfeld going to be directing, co-writing, producing, and starring in the Netflix comedy Unfrosted, which is about the invention of the Pop-Tart based on one of his own stand-up comedy routines. What did you make of this story, Simon? Oh, my God. It's a movie about Pop-Tarts. What are we going to do? What's the deal with these Pop-Tarts? What's the deal with Pop-Tarts? Um, I... I, I'm only into this because it's it's Jerry Seinfeld, um, and I've always been I've been a fan of his comedy. I've seen him do stand up live. I I love Seinfeld. I still watch it, even though it's constantly on a loop in syndication. Um, it holds up exceptionally well, even though visually it's aged. I mean, this is a story that I I, I have so little interest in that I, it actually makes me want to watch it. If you know what I mean, if that sounds mm-hmm. quite weird, it's so out of my wheel arch, and I I, when, I don't think Jerry would have done it. When's the last time you had a pop tart? I, I absolutely hate Pop-Tarts. Oh! I genuinely, I despise them. I've had them a couple of times in my mouth and it just tastes like sadness. It literally, it's like, I, it I, I'm like sadness. I'm almost certain that I definitely showed up to tapings of Meet the Movie Press eating Pop-Tarts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm a Pop-Tart guy. I'm big on s'mores, the brown sugar. I'm down with s'mores. I like the, the frosted blueberry and, and, and strawberry. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally a Pop-Tart guy. And I'm also a Seinfeld guy. So last night, do you know what happened last night at 3 a.m. Eastern time? Uh, you got up for a pee? No, I, I was already up. Um, okay. I, I, I was Instagramming, in fact, the very last minute of Seinfeld on Hulu. Seinfeld left Hulu last night. And it's now not streaming anywhere for a few months so I, I'm kind of, I, I like wanted to get my Seinfeld fix last night. Mm. It's going to have to tide me over until the fall when, it, when it's going to uh, appear on, on Netflix. And I'm sure that they're going to do a big promotion for it because they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had to say goodbye, uh, to, goodbye to Jerry for the summer. Um, this Pop-Tart movie, it, it's not what I would have expected from him, uh, yeah. you know, especially for his like directorial debut. Like I just didn't think Jerry Seinfeld had an interest in directing really at all. Um, but Spike Ferriston co-wrote the script. I think he wrote uh, so many great uh, Seinfeld episodes and I could see the humor in this. It kind of does feel a little like the sour grapes, Larry David thing from, mm. from way back when, but I don't know. I, I'll give it a shot. It's Netflix. Yeah. I mean, like I say, it's not like you've got to spend any money. The money's already right. spent, you know, on your subscription. So and if, it, if it sucks, you can turn it off after 30 minutes, but uh you know, I am sad that I am sad that Seinfeld left left Hulu though. Um, but luckily, I've got my I've got my multiple signed box sets and my my soup Nazi signed Ooh. Funko Pop as well. So, so wait, uh, who who signed it? I gotta know now. Oh, it was uh, the soup Nazi himself. The soup Nazi, yeah, nice. 
<laughs> we have something. Uh, I went to Newman Elementary School. And so I think someone knew someone on the show and they got mm -hmm. Wayne Knight Newman to, to sign some stuff. So we do have a, a Newman signed thing here somewhere. Um, okay. Before we move on, are there any other breakfast foods that you think deserve the movie treatment? Breakfast burritos. <laughs> Who invented the breakfast? Starring burrito? Vin Diesel. Uh, I'm sure giving the burrito acting tips. Incredible. Uh, which was another favorite story of mine this week. So. Yes. Um, the Holland Reporter broke a really, a couple of really interesting stories this week. Mm. Uh, they followed up on the John Boyega exit of Rebel Ridge, which is Jeremy Saulnier's next movie at Netflix. This is a very, very messy situation. So, you know, when Boyega left, it was sort of announced as he, he had a, a family crisis to deal with. And I think we yeah. can all understand that, particularly, you know, with COVID and the pandemic and everything. Uh, but, you know, in, in the days afterwards, and I saw some of this on, on Deuce Mois, the, the uh, gossip account, but uh, it was nice to see Hollywood Reporter actually follow up on it and pin it down. Sounds like he just didn't like the script. He didn't like the hotel accommodations. Like he was kind of roughing it a little bit. And he walked in the middle of the shoot and they couldn't find a last second replacement for him, which means that they were forced to sort of, you know, stop the production. They, and they say that they're going to, you know, resume production either later this year or early next year with a new lead once they've had time to, to find that person. Um, but, you know, it, it, it certainly didn't help his reputation. Yeah, uh, John Boyega, because he left a lot of crew members high and dry. And, you know, I don't even know if insurance covers this kind of stoppage. So like Netflix would technically, from what I understand, be within its rights to sue John Boyega and he'd be on the hook for millions and millions of dollars. Um, but they're obviously not going to do that because that would be that would, that would be a bad look for the talent community. What was your takeaway from all of this, Simon? I mean, the thing is that, I mean, ultimately, if a project is not right, you, you've got to walk away from it. I mean, that's always been my belief because it sticks on your resume. But shouldn't, and these... but shouldn't you walk away at the beginning? Like to walk away in the middle, it's just kind of a slap in the face to everybody. It's like you took the money, you signed on, you showed up. Now you got to make the movie. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, it, you know, th th there is that. But I think we've all done jobs where we've been sold a false bill of goods. And the reality, sure. of, uh, the reality of a situation once you, you know, you start that it is very different to what you believed it was going to be. And, uh, you know, John is a very committed guy. You know, he's stuck with projects. He doesn't have a track record for doing this or being particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, he's also made some movies that he probably should have walked away from. Um, <laughs> So I don't think this would have been taken lightly. And obviously, you know, we are we are told that this is family related. That's entirely understandable. Right, they stuck by it. Uh, I think it's yeah. Femi Ogans, maybe, uh, who, who is his rep, um, who, who said, no, listen, like, I understand you've got sources saying this, but we assure you it is a family issue. And, and, and it's not it's not as if there wouldn't have been discussions about this. I mean, when, you know, the, the, you and I know how, how this works sort of on set and behind the scenes It's you know, these conversations, they start, they progress and then they get to a point where it's like it's either there's a resolution or there's no resolution and you have to find, a, you know, something else that, you know, either cut your losses and move on. I mean, obviously, this is going to be making a lot of money for lawyers, potentially. Um, you know, even if these things are amicable, there's a lot of unpicking to do. Um, you know, because these things are very involved, uh, these deals. Um, but I honestly don't believe that John would, would not. And this is by no means saying anything against the production. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes things just don't work out in Hollywood. That's that's the way it is. Right. Um, but I don't think John would have taken this decision lightly. John is not known for being someone. Like I, said, I have friends who've got, you know, movies either in development, you know, announced or unannounced uh, with John. And John is very conscientious. He takes these things very seriously. He, he's not willy nilly. 
And, that, and that's what I think it was, Simon, because I think that this is a racially charged movie mm. um, from what I understand. And so he may just have had a problem. Like, I don't want to say this or I don't like the way that this is coming across. And, and so it sounds like it was more of like a creative differences sort of thing. But it must have been something pretty serious for him to walk away. I, I agree with you. On that. And especially when you are dealing with things that are charged in, you know, in, in any in any area, whether it's race related or not. You know, you, you sign up for something that is a vision that has a script and that kind of thing. And even though you have some certain leeway for things to be changed, if the vision that you signed up for is something not what you're actually going to be able to put out there, you know, you, you do have to make serious decisions. So, yeah, it, an interesting story, but, uh, you know, obviously sad to see him walk away from it because it is a very interesting project. I hope he finds some peace with whatever was troubling him. And I hope that uh, this project does um, come back in, in some form because I am a Jeremy Salnier fan and I was mm. looking forward to this one. Um, Hollywood Reporter also did a follow-up story on, on uh, the Scott Rudin piece. Um, we haven't talked about Rudin in a few weeks on this podcast. And I, I just, you know, they had one story where it was, uh, he had a black assistant and, and the, the assistant, he said, get me Barry Diller on the phone immediately. And so he got, he got him on the phone immediately, but I guess Rudin wasn't ready for the call. And then Barry Diller started screaming at the assistant, like, why the fuck are you calling me if Scott Rudin's not ready? So then, I mean, it just sounded like crazy. And so Rudin basically fired him. And said, you know, pack, pack your shit, get out. And the guy, rather than starting to cry and, and break down, like, Rudin, you know, so many other Rudin assistants, the guy just kind of started laughing. Like, he, he was sort of built differently than people in that office, um, probably laughing at the absurdity of it all. And, and Rudin was so incensed by this that he allegedly, reportedly, uh, told another assistant in the office to call the cops and get, and get him out of there. So, and, like, whether or not Rudin denied that he actually called the police, but whether he made the call or had someone else make the call or not, the mere threat of saying to a black assistant, I'm going to call the cops on you for, you know, connecting me to Barry Diller two seconds before I was ready. Like it's insane and, and totally emblematic of why Scott Rudin is frankly irredeemable in, in my eyes and the eyes of many of the industry, even though so many others in the industry have covered for him for so long. What is your take on the Scott Rudin of it all and the latest update from THR? I mean, you know, whether it's Scott Rudin or not, we all know that there are these figures in the industry. Um, And, you know, people enable people to um, behave like this because there's something in it for them. Um, You know, and it isn't acceptable, you know, whether someone is, you know, black or not. you don't you don't do that to people. Um, but can you imagine being you a 22 year old or 25 year old kid making 25 grand a year to, to work 14 hour days in your office or something? Yeah, it's like, you know, there's just that you've you just got to try and remain grounded and real at, at some point. You know, do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I, I do. But I was thinking of Rudin trying to remain grounded and I started laughing. But what, what I'm constantly amazed by, by by stories like this in the industry is how more people don't hear them and go like, Ooh. Well, that's the that's thing. There's me? so many cowards, Simon, who are so afraid of losing their paycheck, okay? That's why none of these guys even retire. They just drop dead at their desks. But like, so, you know, the person who I really am, am having a hard time um, thinking about in all this is Eli Bush, who, who is Rudin's right hand, and he has credits on all of Rudin's stuff, and he's become like the, the lead producer on all of Rudin's projects that he mm. stepped away from creatively, even though he, Eli's, you know, he's Eli's just doing his bidding, and Rudin is still making the money and everything. Um, but yeah, Eli Bush, like, you have connections of your own, like, fucking grow a sack, man, and stand up for these kids in, in, in the office. Like, what the hell? 
And he's totally, you know, other than a few mentions and stories here and there, he's escaped, uh, you know, the scrutiny. Mm. I don't like it. No, but I mean, you, you have to, when it's your partner, you have to have an element of, of accountability in this as well. You know, you're, you know, it's, it's yes. like a car with two steering wheels. Um, you know, you are both driving, you know, someone might be doing it from the front seat. Someone might be doing it from the back seat, but you're, you're both drivers here. Stand up and do the right thing. Like you're Eli Bush still, you, your name means something in this town. You will be able to produce movies on your own or with somebody else other than Rudin. Like, mm. why do you think that you need him? I just, I don't, I don't know. But there, there, you know, there's obviously that element of loyalty. But now, I mean, now this Pandora's box, you know, is open. I, I'm sure this won't be the, the last story, um, you know, that, that we hear for, yeah. about him or, or about other people, you know. Sure. Um, and, I, you know, I think, I think that's unfortunately tragic. But, you know, we all know people in the industry, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever their role is, whether it's editorial or, or on the other side of the whole thing, who, who know that stuff is not right, but they keep quiet because they don't want to rock the boat. And listen, it's you know. a passionate business and there's a lot of pressure and, and a lot of money on the line and stuff like that. And, and I understand, like, I'm not one of these people who's like, well, you know, you can't yell. I, I think it's okay to yell from time to time. So if you somebody messes mm. up, you can yell at them. But when it becomes your whole personality and, and that you're just constantly yelling and you don't have like a normal volume around your staff, like, you know, you're one person in private to, you know, the stars that you're taking meetings with. But yeah, that, that's when it just becomes unacceptable to me. So. Some, sometimes you've got to lay down the law, you know, right. you've got to, but I mean, my golden rule is like, don't, don't be a dick. Even when you've got to lay down the law, don't be a dick. Nobody wins in that situation. Agreed. Um, speaking of nobody wins. Mm. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Transformers. <laughs> They're robots in disguise, Jeff. Yes, uh, we're, I, listen, I don't have much to say about this new Transformers. I, I do like the cast and, and like the team that they've assembled. Stephen Cable Jr. is directing, uh, Anthony Ramos, Dominique Fishback. Like, they're going for something different here. Um, but I guess Paramount did a whole thing this week. It's called Transformers Rise of the Beasts. And it includes terror cons and a whole bunch of other stuff excuse me, stuff that hardcore Transformers fans will, will recognize and understand. I don't, I can't make heads or tails of it. I'm, I'm just like, what, what do you, what do you make of this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I really like the original Transformers movie. Uh, yes, not, I mean, original. I like the eighties the one and, and the one that, that uh, Steven Spielberg, who has done quite well for himself, produced, um, you know, that, that came out a couple of years ago and spawned a hugely successful franchise with very little quality in there. I really like the Bumblebee movie that came out, Travis yes. Knight directed a couple of years ago. I'm very surprised that they're not using that as are many other people. They're not using that as a jumping off point. I mean, I, I mean, I think my favorite part of the story is, I mean, I'll probably watch this, you know, it'll, it'll be fun. Um, I always love the fact that when they announce these projects, you get people like, you know, the, the, the stars who are doing the press conference this week and, and they're so earnest about it. And they're like, you know, Anthony Ramos is like, um, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, I was really into like fixing gadgets and stuff as a kid. And I'm like, this reminds me whenever I talk to Nick Cage and whether he's playing a wizard, a guinea pig, or a man selling a pig. It's like Nicolas Cage is like, I always wanted to be a guinea pig or I always wanted to be a wizard. I'm like, no, you didn't, Nicolas <laughs> Cage. Dream Shut role. up. No, he's not. You're, nobody, nobody, you know, their dream role is in these movies. But there's, no, but there's also nothing wrong with that, Jeff. For sure. You know, this is no, just I, dumb I, 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 fun. Yeah, and there's a market for it. And having, having watched, you know, Fast 9 recently, I mean, why not, man? Right. I mean, why not? I said to Justin Lin the other day, I was like, I mean, sure. 
I mean, that's my review of the movie. It's like, sure. sure. Um, I mean, what, you know, why not? And Anthony Ramos, I'm sure, will, will be a star. Um, I, I think he has star qualities, but I yeah. do think that he was cast in this with, with sort of the idea that In the Heights would be some huge phenomenon, and, and then it didn't. And I wonder if Paramount's like, ooh, I wonder if they'd like that one back. It, oh, needs, to be, it needs to be a hit for him. Uh, it needs yeah. to be a hit for him and her, actually, because obviously, you know, she was very popular through, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah. Right. You know, and got awards talk around that. And then if this is going to be, you know, really, I mean, she's probably got some other things in the pipeline that have already I, been I done, like but the, the first major thing, you you know, when you're that early in your career and you're starting to take chances like this, and even though this is a big blockbuster movie, it is a chance creatively. Um, you need it, This needs to be a hit for you. So um, We got a bunch of like, you know, can style announcements and things like that. A lot of indies. Uh, Brian Cranston and Annette Benning doing Jerry and Marge Go Large, but a, mm -hmm. a couple that you know finds a loophole in the Massachusetts lottery and uses the money to help their Michigan town. Pete Davidson and Kaylee Cuoco are doing Meet Cute, a rom com involving a time travel element uh, of some kind. Would you would you go back in time and, and change something about your wife to make her more perfect for you in current day if you could simon or do you wish that she could go back in time and change something about you i'm sure she does <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure she does i'm just counting myself lucky dude you know i'm punching well above my you know my weight with my wife so yeah. uh no i mean i think you know you can have a lot of fun with these things and i think if they do something really different with it like we saw palm springs do with you know with that that time loop thing that obviously you know everybody goes back to groundhog day as as, right. as the go-to for that um i think if you can do something really creative and really fun with it it can be great and those guys i think could be potentially very very interesting um i i would like to see this go more to the edgy end of things than you know than the mainstream end of things yeah i'd like to see it go hard and do something really you know, slightly effed up you know very interesting pairing like, on paper, Davidson yeah. and Kaylee Cuoco. Uh, Christoph and he proved Paul, himself in, in King, you know, he proved himself last year in, in that Judd Apatow movie. He was good. And I want to see him in Suicide Squad too, yeah. which we'll talk about, uh, you know, towards the end of the show in just a, a few minutes. Alexander Skarsgård is joining um, Brandon Cronenberg's new movie, Infinity Pool. I, I think that's an interesting pairing uh, off of Possessor. Did you like Possessor? Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that-, that, that Challenging. Um, and I don't know. What, I don't know whether I say I enjoyed it, but I, I certainly I'm I'm glad I've seen it. I just thought it showed real progress from from yeah. his first movie, uh, Antiviral. Christoph yeah. Waltz and Willem Dafoe are doing Walter Hill's uh, western thriller, Dead for a Dollar. I like that pairing on paper, and it's nice to see Walter Hill uh, back in action. Hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I, I will anything that he ever does, I will always find something interesting in it. But Christoph Waltz, sure. I, I, I like her stuff. Also, I liked his uh, movie Georgetown. Did you see that one? Mm, mm. Very good. Um, Nicholas Cage doing Butcher's Crossing from Gabe Polsky. It's a, a frontier adventure movie uh, th th in which he'll he will risk his sanity. Uh, Ari Aster signed uh, Patty Lupone, Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan for his Disappointment Boulevard movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. Are you an are, are you an Ari Aster guy? I uh, yeah I I am. I'm not. I'm not as big a fan as some people. I enjoyed Midsummer, um, mm. you know, more more than I did um, his previous right. movie. Yeah, which I thought was, 
for me, I know a lot of people found that super, you know, super original. I found it a little bit tropey and it didn't, I didn't find it as scary as, as some people did. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt a little bit too familiar. Um, but um, Midsummer, I thought was, was really, really, you know, it was a rich movie and, and really did, you know, entertain. I don't mean in like a ha 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 way, but it challenged me and it, you know, it, it, it left me feeling something. And I, I, you know, if a movie does that, I'm cool with that. And it's one of the few movies of that year that I revisited. Mm-hmm. You know, so that says a lot about it. I, I also went back to Midsummer, and it was better than, than that first uh, screening. Um, I, I just think that the length kind of hurts that movie. Mm. Uh, there had been some talk. Actually, I think this is the, the mailbag question today. So we'll come back to Disappointment Boulevard. Okay. Anne Hathaway in The Idea of You. Uh, Keira Knightley doing Conception at Searchlight. Jesse Eisenberg doing Manodrome with Adrian Brody and Riley Kia. I, I wrote down the, the logline for this one because it was interesting. It's a nihilistic thriller in which Jesse Eisenberg will play an Uber driver and aspiring bodybuilder who is inducted into a libertarian masculinity cult and loses his grip on reality when his repressed desires are awakened. Sounds like Fight Club with Jesse Eisenberg like, or something like that. I don't well, know. When I, when I read the log line, I was like, oh, not another of those movies. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what, Jeff, it's original. That's for sure. I, uh, I really like Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he seriously during the during the pandemic at the beginning of that he had so many movies out that Vivarium you know, and yeah, 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 which which I actually I really enjoyed that movie. Um, you know, and obviously you know just before that he had you know the the, the sequel to, to Zombieland and stuff like that. I like the creative choices that he makes, um, even though a lot of them aren't successful either you know commercially right. or necessarily as a vision at the end of it but I, I really respect the fact that he is doing these movies. This to me feels a little bit, you know, like, as you say, you know, there are elements of Fight Club. I think there are Ameri- you know, elements of like American History X. There are elements of Green Room in there. Art, Art of Self-Defense, that movie that he did, you know, with the, the karate Great movie. Like, I, I kind of like that Jesse's like trying to almost, like everyone sort of ex- expects him to be one type of guy. And he's taking mm. these kind of very, these roles that, that challenges masculinity. Yeah, and I think it's which is really interesting because he's not perhaps you know would be considered if you you said draw me a picture of masculinity you wouldn't necessarily pull out a picture of of Jesse um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all but I think you know as a vision as a, as a stereotype you wouldn't um, but I mean you know Art of Self Defense was a movie that was not when I watched it was not the movie that I expected it to be right you know yeah. um, and I like that sometimes. You know, me too. I mean, I like to be surprised. Yeah. Um, Liv Tyler producing the romance novel Luca, not not the Pixar movie. Sam Mendes producing Hamnet, which is is like a Hamlet themed uh, movie. McGee producing another Netflix movie called The Tradition. Alan Hughes directing a Marvin Gaye movie for Warner Brothers, produced by Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Um, what do you what do you think of Mar- a Marvin Gaye movie? And who would, is there anyone you would cast off the top of your head or, or? no? No, um, I mean, it's funny, and there's, a, there's another story coming up in a, in a bit talking about, you know, movie castings and stuff like that. I think when you're creating biopics, sometimes oh, yeah, yeah, it, depends, yeah. it depends on how close you want to be to, uh, yeah, to, to the real story and how much you want to play with it. And I think that should really influence how closely physically the, the person matches. They've been um, trying to do a, a Marvin Gaye movie like forever, yeah. right? And it was going to be Jesse L. Martin, I think, for a time from, from uh, you know, The Law and Order. I feel like, you know, now that it's at Warner Brothers, it's at a big studio and it's got big producers, like real heavyweights behind it. I, I do think that this is finally the package that will get it made. 
Would I be surprised if Idris Elba ends up starring? No, <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, or Jonathan oh, from... Uh, Majors? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he would be someone that would spring to mind. Interesting. Um, although I'm just aware that I'm, I'm a big fan of his work, but I, I, I'm kind of... I, I'm just very well... Like the Netflix trailer came out um, you know, recently for this new kind of cowboy movie. Oh, yeah, The Heart of the Fall. We're going to get to that. Yeah. We're going to get to that in, in one second. Um, and I, you know, I, li I like what he does, um, but I don't want to see Hollywood just like shove him in everything because... Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, he's got Ant Man and and uh, what is it, Creed, yeah. Creed Three. If, they, if and even when you're superb at what you do, you can burn if you're popping up, you know, every every six or three months in a movie. Yep. Uh, Jackson White, an actor I'm not terribly familiar with, cast as a young Judd Crandall in a new Pet Cemetery movie at Paramount Players. It sounds like a prequel of sorts. Do we need another Pet Cemetery movie, Simon? We didn't need the last one. That's uh, the remake, which I, which you know, I, I was not a massive fan of. Um, you know, I, I love the original Pet Cemetery movie. I've actually got a soft spot for that sequel, Pet Cemetery Two, um, but I don't know. I mean, why not? I mean, am I excited about it? No. Will I watch it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's fine. Did you did you watch Black as uh, Black as Fuck on Netflix? No, I didn't. So, you know, the, the series did not uh, perform very well on Netflix. I, I think that people were, were expecting a blackish or a grownish from Kenya Barris. And, and this uh, was more like a Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, I liked the show. I actually thought it was um, interesting. It sounds like they scrapped season two. Kenya Barris gave a big interview to Hollywood Reporter, said, we're not going to even do season two. We're going to make, uh, or at least we're trying to make two movies that are kind of vacation themed, which I think could be interesting. I mean, I, yeah. I even like that vacation remake with Ed Helms. Uh, but it didn't do any business. It didn't. I mean, I, I've I've watched that whenever it's on cable or something like that. I will watch it and go like, do you know what? This movie didn't suck as much as I think a lot of people, you know, made out that it did at the time. That there is a lot of you know little nuggets in there that are very good. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, you know, see 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 black uh, black as fuck. But oh, um, I, I remember I remember covering it when it when it came out and there was because I was producing a show for Quibi at the time, uh, yeah. a Rotten Tomato show. Hey, Quibi. Uh, well, that are the great ideas. Um, and, you know, I, I, there was kind of a lot of excitement about it. And then when it came out, there was like, it died instantly. Yeah, it got eaten up by the, by the algorithm, basically. I just really liked Rashida Jones uh, on, on that show. So I'm down for, you know, uh, vacation movies with, with, with a fun black family. Right. Um, Kate Mara and, and Brian Tyree Henry returning to FX for, for Class of 09, which is a, a, an FBI series that with an AI twist. Uh, Jimmy Simpson was cast as a, a guy as a character named David Mills in something. I don't even know what the hell it was, but I can't stand for anybody being cast as David Mills. There's only one David Mills, and that is Brad Pitt in Seven. So change that name, Jimmy Simpson. Uh, Hannah Fidel signed an overall deal at FX. Did you watch A Teacher? No, it's on my list of things to watch. Which actually, this week when I'm convalescing, I'm I'm gonna check out. So funny because I was not a fan of the movie A Teacher, which she also directed. Mm -hmm. But then the fact, you know, once she rather than squeeze it into it was like a 80 minute movie or something once she gets five hours to play with it I, I i really really did like a teacher um the lakers series had a couple more high profile castings mike epps finally going to get to play richard Pryor. he was cast as Pryor in, in like a i think it was lee daniels biopic a, a long time ago and then that movie got got held up by weinstein also this guy max e williams cast as jack nicholson i totally thought he looked like jack yeah, in, 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 he has so many elements of, of Nicholson there, but not again in the in like almost like he's cosplaying Nicholson. 
Um, right. And for me, I, I, I really like that. I don't like people to look exactly like the people because often that you're trying to get it so close and it's almost close, but it's distractingly not close enough. Um, I, I tell you what, I spoke to Mike Epps recently um, and he's someone that always liked his work. A lot of it has, has been shoeboxed into purely entertainment for the African-American community. Right. And he's a guy who is really getting a lot of offers and a lot of projects coming his way now that, that are really starting to show that he's not just you know, just comedy. And he, he genuinely does have some layers and he, he has some depths. And I think Mike Epps, and this is something I would never have said two or three years ago, I think Mike Epps in the next sort of five or 10 years, we're really going to see, you know, lots of light and shade in his performances. And we're going to see him looking at some quite interesting projects and projects coming his way that perhaps wouldn't have done 10 years ago. So I'm, 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 I'm in the, the Mike Epps camp. He, he, he must have some dramatic chops to, because to have gotten that prior role, mm. you know, that movie never got made. He's like, a smart guy too. I mean, talking to him, he knows, you know, he knows his stuff. Um, all right, we're going to uh, move. I didn't, I don't really have many reviews this week. I, I didn't see, I haven't watched a lot of movies. I've been, I've been on a TV kick lately. Is there anything that you saw that, that you can talk about review wise or no? Like you just, you named a bunch of movies that you saw, but they're all embargoed, right? Yeah. I mean, really the, 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 the big one obviously is F9, which, uh, you know, every man and his dog has seen. That's the one that's going to land in theaters this week. And it, I, I'm really interested this to week? see. Yeah, this week it's the twenty oh, fifth. Yeah, so I I think it's I'll be really interested to see what they're doing with this movie. For me, this is not the best you know Fast Nine movie. Uh, it's not the best Fast movie uh, in that Fast verse. Um, but it's it's so dumb, Jeff. I mean, it, it, it it's it's utter nonsense. And you just literally ten or fifteen minutes in, I was like, this is bollocks. <laughs> and then and then I was kind of like half an hour in, going like. Sure. Yeah. And you, I just, I just literally, I just, like, yeah, this back. is bollocks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's literally, I mean, if you've got literal bananas, it is less bananas than literal physical bananas. It is, it's How's crazy. John I mean, Cena? Was John Cena good? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I don't know. I don't, but he's also not bad. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. everything that's in this movie is fits this movie. It's perfect for this movie for what it is. I mean, it's campy, it's got ridiculous action, it's got terrible jokes, it's got really, you know, cliche, tropey family stuff. I mean, clang, it's just, dialogue is like clanging all over the place. And some of the chemistry is like so non-existent, but you know, they, they emote and try to put so much of it in. But do you know what, Jeff, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I we've mean, all put eight, eight movies into this. I, I've spent 16 hours, I gotta see hours 17 and 18. It's nonsense, but you know what? It's a shit ton of fun. All right. I'll, you know, I'll, it's I'll, great. I'll it. My so, brother gets married this weekend. I'm officiating, so I won't be able to see it this weekend, but okay, maybe okay. next week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It's good. I'll be interested to see what the box <laughs> office is. You know, I'll genuinely um, be, be interested to see what that is. Yeah, as far as uh, I really didn't see anything I can, I can even talk about. Uh, I, I finished my, my book, though, this week. I read Two of a Kind, The Hillside Stranglers which was fascinating because I, I, I love true crime. I've got, you know, books on Gacy and Ramirez and Bundy and all these guys, but with Hillside Stranglers, it was interesting because I've never seen murderers have someone to confide in and talk to. Mm. So now the fact that there was two of them, it was a different kind of book for me. And I, I definitely recommend that one if you're curious about that case. All right, let's I'll tell talk you what about- I read recently um, yeah. was uh, Brat, which was the Andrew McCarthy story. Of- oh, okay. 
Yeah, being a part of good. the Rat Pack in the 80s. It's really good. Okay. Um, it's genuinely the only book I've read in the last few years that, I mean, it's genuinely the only book I've read in the last few years, but it, I, I literally sat down and I devoured the whole thing in like one sitting. If you know Andrew McCarthy's movies and you're a fan of 80s movies and that era, it is absolutely fantastic. He's never written about this. There's a load of little anecdotes in there that he's never told before, but it, it genuinely, it's, it's a fun read. It's an easy, that is, fun read. That, that did sound good. I remember reading uh, interviews him with, with him yeah. um, like a month ago or so. I still need it to was great Seth Rogen's book, yearbook, and I wanted to get uh, Wayne Fetterman's uh, history of like stand-up comedy or whatever. Mm. Um, all right, before we get to the mailbag questions, we have just a few trailers to talk about. Sure. Simon, did you have a favorite trailer uh, this week? I mean, the Coda one is great. I've actually seen the movie. I, I'm doing a, um, a, a piece with um, Eugenio uh, next month, who I'm, I'm a big fan of his work, and it's great to see him doing something really different in this. I mean, that movie is fantastic, and I think the trailer sets fantastic. it up really. So, so good. But, and the trailer sets it up in such a way as it doesn't actually take anything away from the finished movie. You don't feel like you've seen all the bits that, right. are, that are really going to affect you. Um, again, I think, to be honest with you, that is going to be a movie that we're going to have a lot of conversations about later in the year. When I hope so, Simon, from I, your lips to, to God's ears. Because if there's it, any it, justice. It is the best movie that I've seen all year. I loved it, uh, you know, and, and that is a movie that I would have liked to have seen at Sundance, you know, mm. with a big crowd, but it didn't lose any impact alone uh, on my couch. Um, and it is a good trailer. I, I, I did cry uh, in the second half of that trailer. So check that out if you if you haven't yet. Uh, we got a new Suicide Squad trailer. Are you, are you excited for this or are you a little skeptical like me? Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical, um, but only because I've seen some incredible DCU trailers in the past and, and the film hasn't delivered. Um, but you know, I, I do, Suicide I do. Squad, number one on that. Suicide's yeah. a great, you know, Suicide Squad's a great example, but I mean, I, I trust James Gunn. Um, my, my sense of humor and I, I like his vision. They're very much aligned. Um, you know, I've been a fan of his work, you know, right from the very beginning. Um, and, I, and I like the cast and I like what they've done with this. This feels like more something that is me um, that, I'm, that I'm really going to enjoy. So, you know, I'm always a little bit reticent about these things, but um, I'm super psyched about seeing it. For me, I think it's going to be, I'm anticipating that this is potentially going to be one of my favorite movies of the summer. Um, whether I really or not it's going to be a movie that I'd want to see twice, I don't know, but we'll see. Right. I really want to see it too, and I do like his sensibility, but but Guardians 2 really disappointed me. So I agree for me too. Yeah. Um, the Harder They Fall, which is that the, the all black Western that you had referenced uh, earlier with Idris Elba, mm -hmm. Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beats, Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors. Hell of a cast for this. How'd you think it looked today? I I was expecting it to blow me away a little bit more. Um, I'm hoping there's more power in the finished film um than there is in the trailer the trailer felt like it delivered dynamism in a very flat way yeah um it was more of a shop window as look at what we've got rather than look at what we're doing with what we've got um but but i'm you know i i i i, I am it's got it's got my interest i just really want it to deliver because i think otherwise i think a lot of the platitudes are going to be hollow um because people think they should be praising this movie um, you know, as we get with a lot of these Netflix movies. And I think that uh, I, 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 I really hope that the finished product is 
what we're being sold right now. But it's again, it's it has my interest. I'm I think it looked it. fun, uh, but you know, like I think one of the the trades guys, it may have been Clayton Davis at the beginning of the year or after the Oscars, sort of looked ahead at, at next year's awards and, and had like the harder they fall listed among a potential contenders. This did not look like any anything like that. Uh, I, I didn't think it was even before knowing what the movie was about. Um, I, I really do like the cast. James Samuels does seem like a talented guy. I didn't love the interstitials though. Like, you know, where it says like, you know, where the names sort of come up. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know what, just fucking say Jay-Z's producing this thing. I don't understand the going back and forth. One day I'm Sean Carter. One day I'm Jay-Z. Market the movie with fucking Jay-Z's name. I don't know. Yeah. Half the people out there don't know who Sean Carter is, which is a shame, but. Sean, Sean Carter sounds like a, a white banker. It kind of, it, it kind of um, does. Connect to see. Um, Joe Bell. Mm. Have you seen that trailer for Didn't the Didn't see that one. You know, this is the one where he has a gay son who's being bullied, and I'm not going to say what happens, but the guy ends up, you know, walking across the country. I thought it looked actually pretty good. It was a good trailer. Um, I, I like seeing Mark Wahlberg do something other than just I'm doing a dumb Mark Wahlberg movie like Infinite yeah. or Mile 22. Uh, the Shrink Next Door, the Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd show. I think that looks good. Do you like yeah, that one? Really good. Yeah, I, I was a little bit reticent about this because as much as I love Paul Rudd, Will Ferrell stuff can be... You're right. You're a a right. little bit. When he's good, he's really good. And when he's not, it's like... Did you see that Paul Rudd show on Netflix, Living With Yourself, where there's like two Paul Rudds? I didn't. Oh, it was good. You should watch that. I highly recommend that. Okay. Um, I am looking forward to, to, to The Shrink Next Door for sure, even though Apple's been on a bit of a cold streak. And, and I can't say what it was, but I watched another Apple show last night that I, I binged five episodes of it was not good so that's like three in a row for me with them I, I don't know i'm really hoping ted lasso uh makes up for it we got a first trailer for annette with uh adam driver and and marion codiard this is a movie that critics will cream themselves over at KF, oh, yeah. and the kind of movie that i will probably not be able to stand just like holy motors did you see holy motors yeah I couldn't stand Holy Motors. No, I, I don't. I, can't, I honestly don't think I made it all the way through that. Um, uh, did you think I, this looked good, or I think it looks good for editorials, you know? And I, I think that's really it's. Uh, you know, even though I, like I said before, I get to vote in loads of different awards. I'm a member of various different guilds and bodies. Right. This, this to me, it feels like a movie that people think we should be liking or excited for. But great creative teams sometimes make movies that don't quite do it. And I think we do ourselves a little bit of an injustice as an industry by jumping on things because factor X, factor Y, therefore result is Z. And I, I just, uh, some of these movies, I need to see that what we're being sold as, as a bill of goods is actually what we're being delivered. And it, this intrigues me. I love the look of it. Yeah, it, it looks. I, I love the look of it. It's a capital A art film. But there are so many movies that I see that, that look incredible, but dude, they're just empty or they're flat or it's like it's style over substance. Anima, Ammonite was a great example, you know, mm -hmm. which everybody was like, oh, lesbian drama. I'm like, you can't just say it's awards worthy because it's dull, long, and has lesbians in it. It's <laughs> like you, it also needs to be a really, really good movie. Yeah. So. Um, so we got a trailer for Summertime, which was a Sundance movie from last year. It's a lot of I'm Dude, I'm looking forward to that. That for me has kind okay. of like a early Richard Linklater vibe. Um, and I, I like that, but, but, but more, but less lo-fi and mm -hmm. a bit more kind of, you know, um, of today, of this time. But it kind of, it did have a little bit of that, that Linklater kind of slackers feel to me. It was interesting. It, it's, yeah. it's like any other sort of anthology type of thing. 
where like some performers and segments are a lot stronger than others. You know, some some uh, poems or songs or whatever stick out and others don't. Mm. Uh, we got a trailer for a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book, which had a lot more footage. I actually thought it was pretty interesting. We got more Charles Manson stuff. Uh, I, I do have that book on pre-order. I don't know when the hell it's coming, but I do want to dive into that just because it's Tarantino's first novel, right? Well, there'll, be, there'll be one and then they'll add like an extra two hours to it and then they'll re-edit it and then they'll put that in another book together and then he'll chop it up and he'll read it in eight parts on Netflix. You know, we're going to get it in various yes. incarnations. Uh, we got to look at Turner and Hooch in which we found out that Tom Hanks's Turner has been killed off for the show. Were you a Turner and Hooch guy? I was more of a K-9 guy. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I, I enjoyed Turner and Hooch, but K-9 um, with, with Belushi was, was my, 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 my jam. We were talking about on Collider yesterday uh, in the Slack, just like Turner and Hooch, Kindergarten Cop. These are like dark movies that were marketed for children. They're like, you know, at the end, like I think Tom Hanks kills Craig T. Nelson with a shotgun. Mm. Um, so th th this this show with Josh Peck looked much lighter and, and more kid friendly and whatever. I, you know, I really like Mighty Ducks, so I might give this one a chance. American yeah. Horror Stories. I did not like the little teaser for that. I didn't like the aesthetic. I've never watched American Horror Story. Have you? I have. I've watched a few of the seasons, but I, I you know, the, the last couple I, I haven't watched. Yeah. Um, I think the last one I watched was Roanoke. The, the, the coolest trailer this weekend, and this is the last trailer we'll talk about uh, before two or three mailbag questions and then, then it's over. Um, but Titane from Julia DeCornow, who is mm. the director of Raw, I think that's one of the best directorial debuts I've seen in the last five years. This Titane trailer, I have no idea what the hell the movie's about, but it looked awesome. Did you yeah. see it? I did. Um, I mean, like I say, I, I like going... I, I, I think often we're sold and told so much about movies in advance these days. I, I really, even if the movie doesn't turn out to be any good, I, I really am hungry for movies that I don't know a huge amount going in. And I think if the trailer gives me something that intrigues me, but I don't actually know what it's about, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, I, like I say, I just hope it delivers on something that actually something that I can support. Yeah. Did you see raw? Yeah, I did. I, yeah, that's I didn't love it as, as a lot of other people did. Um, but I mean, I, it certainly it's a, it's a very accomplished piece. Okay. Uh, all right, mailbag. I know Simon only has a, a few minutes left. So uh, we're going to start with Will Drowdulis, who just because he asked about that Disappointment Boulevard thing. He said, uh, Hi, Jeff, I was curious about the upcoming Walking Phoenix uh, Ari Aster movie, Disappointment Boulevard. I know they had a cast announced earlier this week, but not included in that was Meryl Streep. I've seen her reported on some sites as in the film, but not on the most credible ones. So I was just wondering if you knew or heard anything about it. Thanks and hope all is well. Uh, well, Will, I looked into this when it first broke on that Deuce Moi uh, gossip site, and they said it wasn't true. So whether, you know, I don't know whether she's going to have some site, some sort of cameo or if the role that people thought that she was going to be playing is now the Patti Lupone role. Uh, but from what I understand, Meryl is not in this movie. Um, you know, that could always change, but th that is why you didn't see her in that announcement. Uh, Keltrick Pickens says, hey, Jeff, I was thinking back on the Netflix and Sony deal and why Netflix would want to pay monies, uh, money for movies that they don't own. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that Netflix is still chasing after their own big, successful summer blockbuster franchise? So until they come up with something, they buy pre-exciting one. Uh, what, uh, so, so that's just like, why is Netflix sort of in business with Sony and getting that second window for like Spider-Man movies and stuff? Did you mm. have uh, any thoughts on that, Simon? I mean, I think I think the the whole you know pre-existing IPs is you know is a surefire way to to have hits. But Netflix, for me, generally they they appear to be trending more to trying to set up their own, which they've they've not successfully done yet. 
Um, they've tried a few times. Um, I think a lot of this is just down to basically having ownership of a, of a strong back catalogue with IPs that people know. Because we all know that, you know, like Harry Potter, I mean, God knows how many times we've all seen the Harry Potter movies and they keep changing hands and people will still watch them. Bond is another one, you know, that people will always watch if they're on streaming right. platforms. So, and Netflix, you know, while, while anything they add that's new is, is hit and miss, some things will land very well and some things will get completely lost in the shuffle. If you have those pre-existing IPs, you know that people are going to keep going to those. They're going to keep clicking on them. And, and that's really, you know, the key driver for these guys is that metric, that click metric. I think it speaks to the devaluization um, of, of the theatrical window, because I think yeah. that just, Netflix is just thinking like, you know, it used to be that everyone would go to the theater and that's where they saw the movies. And now these days, there's so it's competing with so much stuff. You know, it can make its way to Netflix, and it can feel new to you because people didn't see it in the theaters. You know, yeah. whether it's because of the pandemic or you know whatever it is. But that is why they're snapping up you know Sony's Bullet Train and and, and its big you know titles for that second window because they're counting on so many people not seeing it in the first window like normal. Uh, and then. The, but also for me on, on, on that, Jeff, I mean, you know, talking about, you know, the, the, the snapping things up that would have gone to movie theaters. I mean, for me, actually, the fact that people are doing this and they're consuming some of these movies at home. I've certainly noticed with a lot of my friends, especially those who have kids, that that now going to the movies is way more of an event than it was two years ago. You know, you would go for event movies and that was cool and that was a different bag of beans. But, you know, here is, you know, people are it's a big deal now to go to the movie theaters. You know, they, it's a purposeful thing that it's an outing. It, it's, it's a it's a bigger deal. Um, and so I think, you know, that 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 is for me is heartening to see that we might see less people going on a more regular basis. But when they turn out, they really show up. Um, and, and, and tied to that question, uh, Teltrick also said, do you think Netflix needs to drop less content? Like in general, they drop so much stuff on Netflix on a weekly basis. How could anyone watch it all? And, and with that model, uh, you know, new movies and TV shows get no time to truly shine or breathe. Um, I, you know, I don't think that they're expecting anybody to watch it all. I don't think anybody can reach the end of Netflix. I think they just have to drop so much content because they need something for everyone and tastes are so spread out across the board. Let's say you, Simon. Yeah, I mean, it, I, there's so much stuff that drops on Netflix. And I'll be honest with you, that's not the streamer that I go to most um, when I'm looking for, for, for new and intriguing content these days, purely because there is so much to go through. And a lot of it just simply doesn't appeal for me when you when you do have to to, to make it such a broad appeal as, as Netflix need to. You know, it, it, you, you sometimes you create wood and trees that you don't necessarily want to put in your own way. Um, I, I would like to see them release less. I'd like to see them promote stuff a little bit more focused. Um, you know, I, I find that's quite interesting. I think they don't, a lot of their TV stuff doesn't get as much room to breathe as it should do. Um, I think it tends to be more sporadic than what they do with the movies, which they really attend to try and make these event things. Um, but it never, I think we're so used to having so much content, there's too much content and you can have, you know, too much of a good thing. I mean, Liberace would have disagreed, you know, um, too much of a good thing is wonderful. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I think, or fabulous, I think you could, uh, you know, yeah, I, I would like to see some of the streamers cut back a little bit or just space it out a bit more, maybe do it on different days during the week. You know, that that I think would perhaps be a bit more effective. Um, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I certainly agree. All right, we're gonna, I, I had a mail, mailbag question coming late, but we're gonna, we're gonna save that for next week. The only breaking news uh, in the middle of this show really is that Olivia Wilde, Spike Jones, and Tobey Maguire had joined Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Um, and yeah, that's about it. That's going to do it for the show this week. Simon, where can the good folks find you? 
you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Showbiz Simon, uh, and you can see my work uh, on places like Forbes, uh, Variety, IGN, uh, popping up on all sorts of different places. And if you live outside of the US, you know, on your TV and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, are you still in, are, are you still involved in that Rotten Tomato show? Um, that unfortunately, because uh, Quibi closed, uh, uh, that that is no longer running. Um, although I do recommend that you check out a lot of the Quibi content, which is now on Roku. There's a lot yeah, of good yeah. stuff on there. Um, you know, uh, Die Hearts is a very good show. Uh, a lot of people didn't give give some of these shows a. a I like a, the Fugitive and the Stranger. And Fugitive was great, dude. Just you know. One. People just got a got a you know a stick in their ass about Quibi and they didn't watch it, um, but yeah. But there will be something new that I'm uh, I'm I'm talking about at the moment, uh, coming up soon. All right. Um, well, uh, you know, get, get some rest, take it easy. We want yeah. we want to hear this exciting announcement of yours in the weeks to come. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I really appreciate. It. I'm so glad that you're you're doing better and you're on the men, buddy. It was great to be back with you. I really I really appreciate it. And thank you. And hopefully, my body you doesn't MT, MTMP. Let me know. I would love that. And uh, of course, if my body doesn't try to kill me again, um, yes. I will see you soon. All right. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening out there. Bye. Thanks, Steve.